So the passage for our sermon this evening is taken from the first eight verses of the letter written by James. So we'll read together James 1 verses 1 till 8. So James chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let the steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Amen. So this evening we look at the first eight verses from this letter written by, by James. Now James himself is a very short letter. Most likely it was a letter to be circulated around in other churches. So it's not written to a particular church. And it's an excellent letter of what it means to live a Christian life. It is there to support Christians in living in obedience under all the challenges that we face in our lives. One of, just want to read one quote, what we think is helpful for us to understand how we need to see James. Because in many ways, James seemed to be a practical book, but there's a lot of things you need to do. Do this, do that, don't do this. And for some, they find a struggle with James. Because it seemed to be, oh, if you do these things, then you will be saved. So how should we read the letter James? And how we should understand the letter James? So Thomas Monton, who was a, in, living in the 17th century, and in his exposition of James, he starts off with this, and he writes, We are all apt to divorce comfort from duty. And to content ourselves with a barren and unfruitful knowledge of Jesus Christ. As if all that he required of the world were only a few naked, cold and inactive apprehensions of his merit. And all things were so done for us that nothing remained to be done by us. And I think that helps me set the scene for what James is. So indeed God's working in us, but it doesn't mean that we don't do anything. We just sit back and we just relax. God works in us and through us, but we need to be active as well. But all that we do, it is faith that forms the basis of how we act and what we do. So though within James, it doesn't mention a lot of the doctrines that people may want to see. 
But we should assume that within the letter of James, we assume the great doctrines of salvation that is taught throughout Scripture. So we should not see James just on its own as a separate letter, but we see this within the context of whole Scripture. And then we'll see that this is not just a to-do booklet, but it's all about faith and how true faith works in us. So James, a bit of debate on who James is, but most scholars believe he's the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. He seemed to be well known by the Jews, and is referred to as a pillar by Paul. And Paul writes in Galatians 2 verses 9, When James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and to me. That is Paul. So James seemed to be a pillar within the earlier Christian church. And James writes to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. So those ones after Christ had ascended into heaven, many of them were dispersed. And in their dispersion, some of them may be alone, may be isolated. And Jesus writes, oh, so James writes to these believers who are in those situations, who may be exiled and facing severe hardship. Many were Jews converted to Christianity. And that may be a very difficult time for them, leaving the Jewish faith and accepting that Jesus is the one that they, that they need to save, or they need to serve. So living in a Jewish community and becoming Christians is quite hard. In a way today we see similar if someone from a Muslim converts to Christianity, they receive many angry threats maybe from their family or from living nearby them, families. So they may be in a similar situation as these Jews. So James write to them and encourage them to, um, to grow in their faith and to become mature Christians. And he does so by going through various topics in the letter of James. Many things that a Christian may encounter in their daily lives. But the purpose for James writing this we see in chapter four, or verse 4 from chapter 1. So, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So the purpose here for James to write this is that they may be perfect. They may be lacking in nothing. That they may grow in their maturity and be able to stand under the challenges of, of life. Now when James starts his letter, it may be quite strange for us, the way he starts. After he introduces himself and gives greetings, then he starts quite strange. These days, if we write an email or write a letter to someone, and I think especially after the COVID period, quite often an email will write, I hope this email finds you well, and try to be an encouragement to see how things are. Are we doing well? But not James. James starts with, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Very different that James, James starts his letter. So he says, start with counting, count it joy. It's an imperative. So, not, well, it would be good if you do it that way. 
No, it's an imperative from James. You should do, do this. You should count it to, to be joy. Again, that's easy when things are going good in your life and you are blessed. But are we only blessed and joyful in Christ when things are going well? How do we react? Of How do um, we in ourselves see ourselves when things are not going well? So when things are difficult for us, when we are in various trials. There are trials that James referred to here. There could be any kind of distress that happens to us from either within or without. And we should in faith believe that these are all God's purposes in us. It is God working those things in us. And it has a purpose. Those trials has a purpose for us that we will see later. So James helps us here. How are we to face these trials? If we have setbacks in life that makes us being cast down, makes us even angry, could be things in the family life, could be things at work. If you go to school, there may be things happening at school that makes you angry or makes you anxious. How are we to react and how are we to deal with these Now, very easily we can maybe become passive underneath this, or even defensive. And then James helps us in this letter to have the right perspective in these matters. And hence, I want to preach you God's word under this theme this evening, joy through trials. We can look at two things. First of all, verses 2 till 4 is how we are to face trials in life. And secondly, In facing these, we need wisdom. So asking for wisdom. And that is verses 5 till 8. So first thing, how are we to face trials in our lives? Now we should note that the way James writes this is that when you meet trials of various kinds. So these come unexpected upon us. So we should not be looking for trials in our lives. And the word trials here being used is the same word that we use in the Lord's Prayer when we pray, lead us not into temptation. So again, we can pray to God that he will not lead us in trials. But when we are in trials, we should face those trials in faith. Now trials could come to even the best Christians among us. Trials is not a sign of weak faith. It is Satan that will use these trials and to make us unsecure of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He used these trials to draw us away from Christ. So James helps us in these trials and these, these difficult times. How are we to grow in our faith? So we should realize that these trials that come upon us, they serve a purpose in our life. And this is what Job realized In Job 5 verses 17, we read, Behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore despise not the discipline of the Almighty. God's works that in us. And we are blessed by it as it helps us to remain steadfast and to grow in our maturity, um, in our godliness. But of all this, we should realize that We can only understand this in faith. 
Without faith, it is difficult to understand these things. And hence, where James writes, For you know that a testing of your faith produces. So we need to have knowledge. Without knowledge, these things are difficult for us to understand. So towards the end of come, how do we get knowledge? How do we know, know that? But it is by faith that we understand how these trials work. And by faith, in trials, we look to Christ. And then we count it as joy. So faith here is believe in the power of God and the promises in his word that he will be with us. And there will be times of difficulty. It will maybe be hard. But we know that towards the end, there is the promises of God in his word. An example of this could be an, 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 an athlete training. Training is difficult. You need to spend hours and hours it may be hard to do the training, sometimes even painful. But an athlete is willing to endure that because he looks towards, hopefully, the gold medal. For us, <clears throat> as Christians, as we should face trials in our lives, we should look at the bigger picture of God's purposes, His plans for salvation in us. But again, it's only as we have knowledge and understanding of God and of Jesus Christ dying for our sins that we are able to stand in these trials. So it's essential for Christians to have a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's only through that we can echo these words from Hebrews 12. Again, we quoted this morning from Hebrews 12, but now but later in that same chapter. Hebrews 12 verses 11. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So again, if you are in trials, you may feel it unpleasant. And it may seem painful. But we know that it will yield the fruit of righteousness. And we will become stronger in our faith. And again, James then gives us two reasons why we have these trials. Two reasons why we therefore can say that a testing of our faith should give us joy. It is first of all because it produces steadfastness. It says, for you know that a testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And secondly, it leads to completeness, our maturity in Christ. So first of all, it says it leads to steadfastness. Now the word in verses, um, end of verse 3, produces steadfastness. That is a word that can mean different things, not just steadfastness. Different translations have different words for it. Sometimes it's translated as patience or steadfast awaiting. So it is for Christians that it produces in us a patience for Christians to wait upon the Lord. Same with that steadfast awaiting. So we wait upon the Lord. Paul writes something similar in Romans 5. The third and fourth words. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. So it helps us to stand fast. The word steadfast also could be the um, 
seen as to be remaining under, to remain standing under pressure, that we are not to collapse. So as we go through these trials, we become stronger and stronger in our faith, so that we are able to stand fast and not to collapse. So it leads in us a Christian patience to wait upon the Lord and to trust upon the Lord. But also it leads to completeness. So and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in or nothing. So it's not just for us to remain standing, and that's it, but no, it helps us in our sanctification. So the ultimate goal is not to remain just standing, but it proves our faith, and it leads to Christian maturity. So it is the completeness of the work of sanctification in us. And we have a great promise that it is God who works that process in us, even through these trials, as we read in Philippians 1 verse 6. Paul writes, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. So it is even through these trials that we become complete. The work of sanctification is ongoing in each of us. Again, we are not yet sinless, and we are not there yet. But it helps us to become healthy and fruitful Christians, well-equipped Christians, fit for work as a Christian. And that sometimes need work to be done, for all that beauty to become visible. One further example where some of this work needs to be done to remove the things that are hindering it or making it invisible. And that is an example of an expensive painting under the plaster in an old building. And how often if they refurbish the building, they come across this beautiful painting. But it's not visible because it's hidden behind this ugly plaster or wallpaper. So only by removing all of that, which takes hard work, painfully doing that very carefully, carefully, but then it reveals the beauty that is behind So the beauty comes after a time. So as we go through these trials, it produces in us a steadfastness. It helps us knowing that in faith we will grow and we will be um, stand fast even under these trials. So we see here a great paradox that we see often in scripture. That it is in weakness that a Christian finds true strength. Because our strength is not in ourself. Our strength is in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in darkness that living faith shines even brighter. brighter. So testing in us produces this steadfastness on our journey until the Lord returns. So in this we see this sequence, which is maybe not a sequence that we would expect. We see trials from trials, we count it as joy. That leads to perseverance. That leads to maturity and ultimately completeness. So we see joy is not at the end. We're not joyful only at the end. But we are joyful. And through being joyful in dealing with these trials, it produces steadfastness in us. And ultimately, 
ultimately, these trials makes us true, mature Christians. So this is why it's helpful that James write to us, and therefore how we can count it as joy. But you may say, yeah, those all good and well. If things go well, but what about in a practical way? If I'm facing these trials, Calvin, in his commentary on James, he writes, Our minds are averse to the thought that we can be happy amidst evil. And you may find that yourself as well. How can I be happy if all these trials are in my life? Now in ourselves, we cannot do that. So hence we need wisdom. We need to grow in our understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ. And hence why James continues in verses 5 to 8. So if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. So we see in Proverbs 1 verses 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So how we see the Lord, how we trust in the Lord, our fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we see here that how we can stand through that is through Christ. He is the source in which we can count these trials as joy. Only possible through Christ, who is our everything. So as these trials perfect us, as we more and more steadfast in our trust in Christ, but for that we need wisdom. Not the wisdom of this world, because the world may think very different when you go through difficult times and trials. But we need the wisdom in Christ. Now the first thing here is to admit in ourselves that we need wisdom. How much to maybe think, well, I'm wise enough, I can deal with this. But let us humble ourselves and realize that yes, we need wisdom. And that we come to God to ask him for wisdom. To react wisely in trials is a gift of God. And we need to come to him to ask him to act wisely. Again, I love how Calvin speaks in his commentary further on. He says, wisdom makes us to submit to God in the endurance of evils under a due conviction that he that is God so orders all things as to promote our salvation. So without, our, without wisdom, without wisdom of Jesus Christ and what is done for us, we will not be able to see these trials. But it's only through faith in Christ and knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, we can indeed know that these things are to promote our salvation. Again, things are easy to accept in our lives when things are going well, when we are blessed much more difficult when we face trials, injustice in our lives. So again, we need to come to God and ask him for wisdom. And true wisdom is only in God. He is wisdom. Wisdom, one of the attributes of God. Now the fact that we need wisdom, and that is the way that he provides salvation for us, is clearly seen by Job. He is the one who understood that. Now we know Job had a lot of trials in his life, but he clearly understood. So from that, just want to quote a few verses from Job 28. The whole chapter of Job 28 deals with that. 
But I just want to read a few verses from that chapter with you. So it's basically all the section from 12 till 28. But let me read a few. So read first verses 12. Job says, But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? It's the question that Job asks himself of himself. And then we look at verse 20 till 21. From where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? He continues that question. It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. And then verse 23 and then 28. 23, God understands the way to it and he knows its place. And then he ends that chapter. And he said to men, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We come to God. So when we ask God for wisdom, how do we do that? We do that with a believing prayer. We come to him and we know that he will give us generously. We know that. But Paul writes in Ephesians 3 verse 20. Now to him who is able to do more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work in us. So he is able to do more abundantly than all that we ask. So come to him. Ask for him. Then God will give generously without reproach. Is this how you and I, how we view God? Thus, your confidence in his goodness and in his love depends on your own circumstances. How things are going in your own life. Because if things are going well, it's easy to say, yes, God is gracious and God is good. But what about in trials? So does your confidence in his goodness and his love depend on your own circumstances? Or is it the promise that you have and the belief that you have that he gives generously to all without reproach? God is not looking at our faults and therefore denying us. As long as you come to him in faith, he will give us much more. Psalm 66 verse 18 often we used in our assurance of when we confess our sins. We read, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So we need to come to him in prayer. So this is what faith, faith grasps. Faith must be our starting place in that. So when we come to God in asking, there are two conditions set by James. First of all, we need to ask in prayer, in a believing, or in faith, in a believing prayer, that God will give, and that he will give generously. But secondly, we should come and ask not doubting. We should not be a double-minded man. Our focus should be on the Lord Jesus Christ, only on him, and not on our own circumstances. Peter will be again very well aware of that, being in two minds, being maybe double-minded himself. When he was walking on the water, wanting to meet the Lord Jesus, he was able to walk on the water and go to the Lord Jesus. But as soon as he saw the waves around him, then he fell in the water. 
because he was double-minded. He focused on the surroundings a lot more than focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, when we come to him and ask to him, let our minds be singly focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. That our eyes may be on the promise that he given to us in his word. So as we ask, we ask single-minded, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we do so, and how do we get after asking God for wisdom? Where does wisdom come to us? It comes us in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we get that through his word. As we read his word, as we study his word, we know the Lord Jesus Christ, what he has done for us. So we read his word, we meditate upon his word, we reflect on what we have read. And as we've done so, we grow in our love towards him. And then we have that great promise of these effects of trials in our lives. So we go towards the end of that chapter, James 1. James 1, no, not the end, end of the chapter, at verses 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So that is a promise that we have, that we will receive the crown of life. Now everyone who will read this will agree and say, yes, I want to have that crown of life. But are we just focusing on what's going to happen later? But how do we deal with this now? The only way to stand fast is indeed to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and to love him more and more. And we do that as we read his word. Psalm 1 speaks about the tree planted by the stream. We are that trees if we are in Christ. We are planted by Christ at that stream. And he feeds us through his word. And as we are at the stream and as we are fed by Christ, our leaves will never wither. We will remain steadfast and we will receive that crown of life. So let's ask ourselves, how are we during these trials? You may go through trials right now. I don't know. You may be blessed in many ways. But trials may come. How do you view these trials? Will we be now or are we now or will we be then in the position to count it as joy? Let us keep praying to God for wisdom. And in a believing prayer ask him for wisdom. But also let us study his word so we may come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. So in that Let us guard ourselves and not be carried away by the error of lawless men, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty Father in heaven, Father, we do thank you that... You come with your words with that great promises. 
that we have eternal life in Christ, that we will receive the crown of glory if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that as we face trials, that we will remain steadfast. Father, that we will count these things as joy in faith, because we know that you foreordained these things so that we may be growing in our faith, that we may grow in our faith in who you are, that you are our Savior. Amen.